This is the podcast by The Straits Times. Welcome to Health Check. In this fortnightly podcast series on Wednesdays, The Straits Times guides you to healthier living and debunks the myths with expert guests. I'm Joyce Teo and my co-host is Ernest Lewis. Today we have with us here Dr. Michael Lim, the Medical Director of MWH Heart, Stroke and Cancer Centre. Dr. Lim is also the Honorary President of the Asian Society of Cardiology and is here to tell us more about food today, about what we can eat to prevent cardiovascular disease like heart attacks or strokes. So hi, Dr. Lim. Hi, morning. Hi. So uh, Singaporeans, you know, we love hawker food, but quite a lot of the dishes are high in calories or saturated fats. So can you tell us about some of the dishes that we should perhaps eat less often? Well, I think most of us know our local hawker favourites. But before we do that, we need to have clear ideas what we mean by a healthy diet. So when we say healthy, heart-healthy diet, we're looking at less salt because salt predisposes you to higher blood pressure, less carbs because that predisposes you to fatty liver, and less fats because saturated fats and cholesterol will clog up your arteries. So really, we want to look at foods which have less of all these. If we think about our usual breakfast choices, say like miru boost, for example, that's pretty high not only in calories but in salt and cholesterol. In fact, that would put you probably around the range of 600 to 700 kilocalories. So that's pretty high. And if you are talking about misiam, well, many think that it may be quite healthy. You'll be surprised. It's high salt, high calories, and high cholesterol as well. And uh, same for nasi lemak in the same category as well. And you'll be surprised that even long tong, you know, that's also high calories, high cholesterol and high saturated fat. And if you are looking at chai tau kui or your fried carrot cake, that dark ones actually have high fat, high salt and high calories as well. So if you want to eat your carrot cake, you might want to take the white ones. They are generally less in calories as well. So is there a type of hawker food actually that is reasonably safe to consume on a more regular basis? Popia is actually a safe choice though I think most people don't eat popia <laughs> yeah. in the mornings. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but if you just took a dough fritter, took some tau hui or soya bean, I think that's a safe choice as well. Okay. Yeah, and if you like some tree kueh, maybe not too many, maybe like four and maybe take less of the toppings, yeah. uh, then that I think would also be a fairly uh, safe choice as well. Obviously, they don't sell oatmeal uh, in the hawker centre, <laughs> yeah. but you can have it at home. Yeah, I'm sure the chikwe lady will like you not to take extra of the toppings as well. Yes. <laughs> so, Dr. Lim, what about cholesterol foods? We now know that dietary cholesterol is not as problematic as previously thought. Does this mean that we do not have to limit ourselves when we eat uh, foods high in cholesterol? U.S. government every five years will commission a report. This report is called DGAC, which means Dietary Guidelines Advisory Committee Scientific Report. So what they do is that they gather a team of experts in nutrition. They look at all the published papers and they come up with this report, which is actually pretty long. It's about 500 pages that details the evidence on the various types of food. So when this report was published, what was notably interesting was that they removed this daily limit of cholesterol, which they used to have in the past reports. So in the past reports, they usually put about 300 milligrams of cholesterol as the limit per day. But in this new report, it was absent. So the moment this report came out, 
I had people sending me my WhatsApp messages that, oh, now I can eat my chakwe tiao <laughs> and all my pig trotters and all the other wonderful foods that they would like to indulge in. So is that true or not? So actually, if you read the report properly, the reason why they took off the limit for the 300 milligrams of cholesterol per day was not because it was not important, but they realised that actually the main factor for this cholesterol in our body is actually the saturated fat. So the saturated fat is actually like, if you want to make a cake, you need ingredients. Mm. So similarly, you want to make cholesterol, you need ingredients. And actually, the main ingredient is saturated fat. So in this report, they wanted to shift the focus from cholesterol to saturated fat. And that's why they omitted the number. So cholesterol still remains important, but they realized that the main source of cholesterol in our body is actually the saturated fat and not so much the cholesterol that we consume. And you're saying that saturated fats include trans fats as well? Yes. Does that include trans fat? Yes. So when we say saturated fats, trans fats is just one type of saturated fat. And trans fat is supposed to be especially bad for the body because it actually elevates the LDL or so-called bad cholesterol. So you mentioned the foods that are high in cholesterol are also high in saturated fats, right? So are there some foods that are not high in saturated fats? Maybe high in cholesterol but not so high in saturated fats. Okay, so if you look at saturated fats... eh? Those will be things where they contain oils that are generally... So if you take, say, for example, seafood, let's say seafood, for example. Mm -hmm. So the rule of thumb is, let's say, for example, you look at all those with a shell. That means the seafoods with a shell, whether it be oysters or whether it be a lobster or whether it be a prawn. Generally, those will be high in bad cholesterol. They'll be high in bad cholesterol. But the interesting thing about crabs, and you know, Singaporeans love pepper crabs, chili Mm. crabs. So, some good news for the food lovers. Actually, if you take a crab, you don't take the roe and you just take the crab meat. Mm -hmm. And obviously, if you cook it in a more healthy way... The crab meat itself is not really that high in cholesterol. But if you take the raw, then the cholesterol will be quite high. Okay, now if you like what you're hearing so far, do subscribe to our series Health Check on Apple's or Google's podcast or even on Spotify and like us and give us a rating. Now back to our conversation with Dr. Michael Lim, the Medical Director of MWH Heart, Stroke and Cancer Centre. Dr. Lim, great conversation we're having. Um, Let's talk about saturated or even trans fats. We all know that Singapore has decided to ban artificial trans fats by 2021. How significant is this? Trans fat is actually the worst of the saturated fats, which as a, as a group is not a healthy type of fat. And many people will be surprised by the things that we eat that have trans fat, actually. So trans fat is bad because it increases your bad cholesterol, all right? And if you look at the foods that we eat, you will find that many of it is produced and sold in supermarkets. So things like, for example, baked foods, the cakes, the cookies, the pies, the crackers, and snacks like your potato chips, all these generally have trans fat. Deep fried foods like french fries, donuts, fried chickens, they also have trans fat. And those that use refrigerated dough like canned biscuits, cinnamon rolls, frozen pizza crust, they actually all have trans fat including non-dairy coffee creamer and stick margarines as well. But be careful of the labelling because in the US, if per serving of the food has less than 0.5 grams of trans fat, 
theoretically, they can put it as no trans fat. And sometimes they don't use the word trans fat, they use partially hydrogenated vegetable oil. So mm. that is actually synonymous with trans fat. So got to look out for that. But the then fit. you have to be careful because some people say, okay, fine, as long as no trans fat, I'm okay, I can buy that, take that off the shelf and eat it. But if you are looking for alternatives and they contain palm oil or mm. coconut oil, actually those are also not healthy. So be careful, don't be misled that just because there's no trans fat, you're good. Be careful if you have lots of palm oil or lots of coconut oil. Those are saturated fats and they're also not good for the body as well. Right, but coconut oil is actually quite popular, right? And then you have people telling you that there are a lot of benefits with it. Yeah, so if you look at the studies that are published, and I think people in Harvard has done quite a bit of studies on this. And of course, I know that if you read the internet, there are people who advocate mm-hmm. drinking uh, even coconut oil, quite amazing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but actually, if you look objectively, there's no evidence that it has any beneficial effects on the body. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I think one would advise caution on that. So Dr. Lim, what's your view on supplements, right? I mean, we know that we can't take it to actually prevent the disease, but can it help us improve our chances, reducing our risk of the disease, May? So I think many people like to take supplements and it is very common. And amazingly, some of my patients come with like 10 different types of supplements. So if we again look at the current evidence and ask ourselves what we should take and what we should not take, I will put it very simply. The first thing that I tell all my patients is do not take calcium supplements. The reason for that is very simple. If you look at the DGAC report, which I referred to earlier on, the report from the US, and if you have the time to read the section on calcium, it is written there quite clearly that it is inadvisable to take calcium supplements. And the reason for that is that if you take calcium supplements sufficiently long enough, you will find that these calcium deposits will actually end up in your arteries, especially your heart arteries and your brain arteries. So that's not a very good thing because it will clog up your arteries. So I think what you should do, if you really are worried about getting osteoporosis, you should actually focus on getting more vitamin D in your body, either through exposure to sunlight, or if need be, you could take some vitamin D supplements. So I think that is something that might be useful. Interestingly, from my anecdotal experience, I find that the large majority of Singaporeans, actually their vitamin D levels are actually on the low side. So there's no harm taking either foods that have vitamin D, either vitamin D supplements or get more sun. So I think calcium is really a no-no for most people. However, I just need to qualify that for young children, growing teenagers where they are still growing and they need the calcium for their bones. So for that category of people, certainly calcium supplements will be required. But But once you're an adult, absolutely correct. Not for adults. Of course, there might be exceptions, but by and large, it should not be something that you should be taking regularly. Then the other common supplement I see that many, many people think is fish oils. So again, what does the evidence say on fish oils? The story about fish oils started in the 1980s when they found that people like Eskimos and all that, when they take that, the HDL went up and therefore they said, oh, we should all take fish oils. (laughs) But then of course, of late, the evidence shows that in four major trials, that even if you raise the HDL by 100%, it did not translate to a real benefit in terms of reduction of heart attacks or strokes. Now the current evidence is like that. If you are asking yourself, does taking fish oil prevent a heart attack or stroke? The answer is no. 
So what is the benefit of taking that? The benefit is that there are some studies to suggest that if you are in the throes of a heart attack, that means you are in the midst of you having a heart attack mm-hmm. and you're taking fish oil, you might be less liable, less likely to get abnormal heart rhythms. So that seems to be the main benefit in those category of patients. But by and large, if you're looking to take it to prevent a heart attack or stroke, that's not been proven to be so. Then other vitamins, uh, I think if people like to take vitamins, the rest really do not have very strong evidence. I need people take vitamin C, vitamin B, but generally the water-soluble vitamins like B and C are pretty safe. So even if you think that it makes you feel better to take them, really not too much harm. But you have to be careful about taking things like vitamin A, which actually is fat-soluble and therefore stays in the body, can actually have detrimental effects as well. Other than that, some people take another common supplement called coenzyme Q. So firstly, what is coenzyme Q? So every cell in our body has this thing called coenzyme Q. It's present in every single cell in our body. So when you reach about the age of 40 years or so, this particular coenzyme starts to, the level starts to drop as you age. And the purpose of coenzyme Q is like it's a catalyst. So if you imagine a factory assembly line, raw product, final products, energy, coenzyme Q is a catalyst that actually speeds up the production of energy in the cell. So that's what it does. By and large, uh, it is used only in certain specific circumstances. So one of the common reasons why doctors prescribe it is that if you are taking a statin, so there's some evidence to show that if you are taking a statin, cholesterol-lowering tablet, if you take coenzyme Q together with that, you might have less muscle aches, side effects associated with taking statins. The other category of patients where you might take coenzyme Q is there's some evidence to show that if your heart is not good, your heart pump is not good, Coenzyme Q may have some benefit, but it's, it's harmless. So, yeah, so I think these two specific circumstances, they might be helpful. Other than that, I mean, there are lots of other supplements we have to be very careful about because they actually may be harmful. So I think I'm not sure it's better to ask your doctor uh, for advice before you take loads of supplements. But for fish oils, if you take a lot, is that harmful? I forgot to mention that, again, in growing children, in growing children, let's say I'm talking about kids, teenagers, I think generally it's not harmful. In fact, you might want to encourage them to take that. But again, back to the adults, there's no harm in taking that. But be mindful because in the market, people try to tell you omega-3, omega-6, omega-9 and all that. So generally, 9 is so plentiful that you really don't need to take any of that. Mm. Yeah. So there are different types of fish oils. Yeah. And if you really, really must take fish oils for whatever reason you feel that is great for your body, then what kind of fish oils should you select? Turn to the back of the label and look at the whole fish oil composition very, very carefully. You look specifically for these two components, the DHA and the EPA. And if you really want to take those supplements, you make sure that the ones you buy, the EPA and the DHA, when added together, they are at least more than 50% of the total composition of that capsule that you're taking. Right. Thanks for the great tips, Dr. Lim. Well, that's a wrap for Health Check. We hope you like this latest Healthy Living Tips. That was an SPH podcast by The Straits Times. Find us on Spotify, Apple or Google Podcasts or streaming on Google Home. Do feedback to us at podcast.sbh.com.sg. You can also check out more podcasts on various topics at The Straits Times and The Business Times online.